Well, good to be everybody here today. I'm up to you today is uh, in Romans, as we're going through the book of Romans. So let's uh, do that. Looking here in my little <coughs> sermon booklet here. And I got that message in here somewhere. If I can just find it, it'd be very nice. Okay, I think I found it. Oh, yeah, I got it. Okay, we're going to be good. Okay, so we're looking here in Romans. Now, if you remember, when I come here, I usually I preach just out of Romans. I've been going verse by verse through Romans. And now today we're going to be looking into none other than Romans chapter 1, verse 31. So, um, but let me give you a little bit of context so, um, you know, so we pick this up in, in the proper manner and understand what's taking place. And you might want to ask, you know, why are you, ta- why are you talking about Romans all the time? Well, you know, because Romans is the major book in God's Word dealing with doctrine. If you want to know doctrine, of course, the whole Bible has doctrine, but, but Romans maj- majors in the doctrinal issues of the church. And so that's why I'm you know, staying in Romans and, uh, you know, enjoy going through that. Now, in order to get the context of our thoughts, I'm going to go back to verse 28. So let's look at Romans 1.28. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, so you may remember some of these things here. Romans 1.28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So... Uh, This has given us a little context of what's taking place, and this is a statement about the pagan or the unbeliever. I use the word pagan to mean unbeliever. And this is describing the unbelieving community, and they did not want God. And we see here, too, that God permitted the pagan to pursue their own depraved desires. But then as you go to Romans 129, it continues on a dissertation about the pagan to whom we're speaking. They are, what? here's a description, filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, now consider these words, covetous, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, and if you remember a few weeks ago, Ago when I was here, we defined all those words, so I'm, therefore I can assume you have perfect understanding thus far. And then uh, we, you go to, to more of these seven more additional sins we see in verse 30. And again, all this is the context of the verse I want to share with you in just a minute. But additional sins, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. So you've got a whole unholy group here. Of, of This is what the earth is like. All these unbelievers. And you have an unruly society. And you have sin dominating the human race. And then he finishes up this list with the verse I want to talk to you about today. And that is verse number 31. Now, if you look in verse 31, and if any of you may have... Does anybody here have a Greek New Testament? You may have that. I know, you know, I just know a little Greek, not a whole lot, but a little bit I know. It can be helpful. It does, if you look in Romans one thirty one from the Greek text, it sounds like asuntus, asunthetus, aponus, 
Anilenus, and that's taken from the Texas Receptus of 1894, which is probably one of the more, more trustworthy documents. There's, you know, there's about four or five major documents from which we get the English translation. And the Textus Receptus document is probably one of your better ones. And that's what I just read to you from. But putting that in English, it says, it's a list of, more, of six more sins. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. So these are the topics we're going to look at today in some detail. So you'll notice then that verses 29 and 30 describe what the pagan was, past tense. Verse 31 is describing what the pagan was not. It tells you what it, what it is, and, and that's good teaching. You, you say what your statement is, and you say what your statement isn't. And I'm trying to think of an illustration I could give to you, and it takes me back to my foot sports background. So having graduated from University of Kentucky, I also uh, uh, coached there for a year, coached the football team for a year. And instructing different aspects of the game, you want to tell a person what to do, but also tell them what not to do. For example, teaching on, uh, teaching on a certain way to block so the ball, you know, the blocker is here waiting for the defender to come, so you want to block him. So you teach him to you know, be low, and when he comes, you st- stick your, your face right into his chest. Okay, so you can, un- un- you can sort of get down, and when he comes, you sort of explode in- into the middle of his chest. But the hard part is, the tendency is, just before you make contact, you put your head down, because you don't want to have your face smashed. But that's when you get a broken neck. That's how people get hurt. If you keep your head up, you won't get hurt, but it's hard to do that because you see this thing coming to you. So I, I, I try to teach them what to do. Keep your head up. But I also stress what not to do. Don't put your head down because you do that, then you're going to get hurt. So you teach them what to do, what not to do. That's what we have here in this text right here. We're being taught what to do and what not to do so we understand the issue at hand. The charges we see here, the pagan was void of the following thing in in our context here. He was, it says here, void of understanding, which really means looking, going back to the Greek text, it means basically like common sense. (laughs) He was void, void of discernment, intelligence, God awareness, and morality. John Gill says that these pagans had none of these things. Adam Clark comments on this verse and said that they were void of the capacity for spiritual understanding. And we're going to find out why they were void. Why were these people, these kinds of people, void of understanding? And we'll, we'll see this numbers of times, but the answer is they were reprobates. The word reprobate in Scripture is a significant word. It's used only six times, but it refers to those who will never get saved. Now, you might have John Doe walking on the street, and he's not saved, but he may get saved tomorrow. The only way you know someone is really a reprobate is when they die. If they die in unbelief, then you know that they were a reprobate. But that word is used in Scripture, as they say, six times to describe that person who will not bend the knee, who will not come to Christ, who will not put faith in the Lord Jesus. We have a description of this one in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 
Now, here's a verse. I, I bet somebody here has that verse memorized. It's a pretty common verse, and it's pretty basic. Does anybody, can anybody recite to us 1 Corinthians 2, 14? Now, we're talking about the reprobate, but this is another word for the reprobate. For you find in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, speaks about the natural man. And it tells us the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. And this is the kind of person you may want to give a track to, and, oh, I don't want that, or, or you may take it and you know, rip it up or what have you. And that's the state of unsaved man. And that 1 Corinthians 2.14 would be a good verse to commit to memory because it describes the situation, the natural man. And, and uh, so we're looking here then the reprobate, we're looking here at the natural man, but this is the cluster of people who will not ever come to Christ. And we know something about their nature. They're biased against God. They'll be biased against you as a Christian. But these are the things we have to learn how to work with and to maneuver with. The natural man, as we're going to find in Scripture, is incapable of being bound by a covenant. Scripture defines the natural man this way. Now, if we talk about covenant, that's a new word I entered into our conversation today. Let's think about a covenant for just a moment. What is a covenant? A covenant is a contract or fetter, that which binds together. In Scripture, there are two kinds of covenants. There is a conditional covenant, and there's an unconditional covenant. An unconditional covenant, God says, I'm going to do this. And then he does his word. And a, a, uh, a conditional covenant is, I will do this if man does thus and so. So I think I confused that. The unconditional covenant, God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to flood the world. I'm going to do it. An unconditional or, or a conditional covenant is, I will do this if man does this. And so you'll find about five or six, seven different covenants in Scripture. Some are conditional, some are unconditional. And you sort of have to read and study, the, study it to find out which, which way it is. But here we have the natural man... He's incapable of being bound by a covenant. And again, remember, God worked with ancient Israel and with us even today through covenants. The New Testament is a covenant that God makes with his people. And so we find that the Lord works with this, but the natural man or the unsaved man is, or even we could, again, use the word reprobate, he is incapable of being bound by a covenant. If you do this, I do it. He won't do it. That's, that, that is, in fact, that is his nature, and that's what we're working with. The natural man is ruled by impressions, emotions, feelings, pride, ambition, revenge. And, and this, I'm describing your, perhaps some of your friends, some of your acquaintances who don't know the Lord. This is what's going on in their head and in their heart. They are unsaved. They have not the Holy Spirit. He can give no promise concerning his conduct. According to Adam Clark, writes that about this person. He can give no, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, he can't do it. Because he's not really under control of his own life. He's guided and directed by sin. Hence, we use the, theologians use the label to describe this kind of person as total depravity. And that's a, a key doctrine to understand. Total depravity. Scripture teaches that the natural man 
is totally depraved. It's not that he's 95% depraved. He is totally depraved. And the only way he will ever get to be saved is if God overcomes his depravity, draws him irresistibly unto himself, gives him faith to come unto Christ, and then he's born again. But if that doesn't happen, he'll never hear the gospel on his own and come to Christ. His depravity is so immense, so strong. In every opportunity, the pagan or the unbeliever banishes God from his life. And as I wrote that statement down, a thought came to my mind, and it made me think of the American public school system, because that's what our public schools are today. Anything that has to do with God, it'll be banished. It'll be ignored. We find that in our public school system. We find it, of course, in the universities. And um, the... So far, God's been gracious with us, but this is going to catch up to us. And we're going to go through a very, in my opinion, a very difficult time. You cannot teach generation after generation there's no God and teach nothing but atheistic philosophy without serious repercussions. And we'll see this more and more as we move through here. Now, let's talk for a minute, just a minute, about believers. So far, we've not been nothing but negative, but there is some positiveness in here, and that's you, and that's me, and that's who our Lord does save. We know that by contrast, by contrast to all this negative talk, there are those who are the objects of God's grace and mercy. That's you, that is me, and that's all who believe in him. They are objects of the grace and mercy of God. But now see, since it's grace... We cannot ask, well, why did God put his electing love on me? What did I do? You did nothing. It's grace. God put you in the circle of his, those who are going to receive forgiveness, heaven, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But it's not because of anything you do. You already know that. I know I'm probably repeating what you already know, but I want to re- reinforce that. That God, for whatever reason, put his love on you. And sent his son to rescue you, to save you. And gave you the Holy Spirit to, to, to follow the Lord and to serve him. And it's not because anything God saw in you worthy. And that's what grace is. We deserve hell and damnation, but we get grace. I can't explain it any more than that. I don't know if scripture goes any deeper than that. It's, it's simple. Yes, I deserve rejection. I deserve hell. I deserve damnation. I've earned it. I deserve it. And if I go to hell, I can't complain. I'm getting what I deserved. But for whatever reason, I receive grace. I receive mercy. And therefore, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm standing here today, and I'm looking forward to go to heaven. And that's true for every one of you. Have, now, I'm assuming every time I come here, because we... And there we go, I use that, comp, that, that uh, pronoun we, but now it's me when I come here. But when we come, you know, we always enjoy especially being here because I don't know, the fellowship here is very rich. We found it to be very rich. But yet I would still ask the question. I would not be a good preacher if I did not ask the question, are you sure you're born again? Are you sure that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? And if so, I guess what I'm saying here, have you received Christ into your heart by faith? And if you have, praise God, wonderful. Shows that God's mercy was upon you. If you haven't, then I would do all I could to try to convince you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Receive him, the one who died on the cross for your sin. He was buried and he resurrected. And he offers the gift of forgiveness of sin and a home in heaven. If you simply receive him. What's that verse you probably have memorized? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace, there's that word grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself. Get, to, get that phrase? Our salvation is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What a glory. And that's how all of us have been saved, through grace. And I'm just throwing this out. I, I don't know everybody's heart here. Maybe somebody here, you're, you're just a, a friendly, nice person, and you like the company. I've talked to people this way. I mean, I've talked to people who have said this. Oh, I like it in this church here. I like being with my friends. Well, when did you receive Christ? Oh, I don't believe in Jesus. I just like the fellowship. And you wouldn't know that. And so that's why I'm sort of giving you this little invitation to think again about your own salvation, your own direct how the Lord is leading you. All right, getting back here, I'm starting to stray a little bit, so let's get back here to the context here. We're talking about the unbeliever. We know that the unbeliever is not, and this is going to be hard to understand, but follow it. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, he'll teach you this. The unbeliever goes through this world unbelieving and dies. What we know was that that unbeliever was not N-O-T, he was not the object of God's mercy. He wasn't the object. And you will say, was well, that fair? Well, I'll, I'll address that in just a minute. But this is what we're finding out. He was not the object of God's grace or mercy. If he dies, if a person dies in unbelief, then we know that he was not an object of the grace of God. And that's not a surprise because we know most people will not come to Christ. Of all the people who ever lived, the majority of them will not be in heaven. All right, let me go on and give you some more good news here. I'm just showing you biblical. The unbeliever is an object of God's justice. We are an object of God's mercy. See, there's two things in play here under the authority of God. There is mercy and there's justice. We have received mercy. Hence, we believe in Christ. The unbeliever is going to receive justice. Now, if you're called into court, what you want, what you hope for, is to get justice. That's the best you'll get from mankind. That's the worst you'll get from God. I don't know if any of you were in court you know, with, with a penalty. I, I was in court once, and I didn't like it. <laughs> And I was praying for the mercy of God. But I was in court. I, I, in fact, I probably shared this with you. I don't know I share it wherever I go. For, for uh, blocking the entrance to, a, to a, an abortion clinic. And so the cops came along, you know, and said, you know, come with us. I don't fight them. So they put, put you in the paddy wagon. And it's, this is in Philadelphia. So they take over to the, what's called the roundhouse. It's like a prison, a jail, a jailhouse, I say. So they put you in there, and I'm thinking, now, I, I went, my wife was home, and I'm thinking, she doesn't know I'm behind bars. How is she going to find this out? She's expecting me home in about two hours, and I don't think that's going to happen. So they picked us up around 10 in the morning and kept us there till 12 at night. And then the guard came back, opens the door, doesn't tell you anything, just walks in, opens the door, says so you can go. But then there's the judge, you got to walk past him. And he says, I come back here in two weeks for your case, court case. 
And, and he says, if you are found guilty, two years in jail and, tw- and fine $20,000. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Whew. Well, they, they came for that case, court case. And here's the key, what I learned. And you can tell this to your friends. If you are able to get a lawyer who understands the pro-life movement, they can usually get you off, avoid any penalty. If you get just an average lawyer and they try to do their best, you're in bad bad trouble. (laughs) Fortunately, we had a lawyer who understood this issue and he was able to present our case. And so during the second day of the trial, the lawyer says, Everybody come up to my, all the lawyers come up to my court, to my uh, desk. So they stand there, and they're having a little conversation for maybe five minutes. And then they go back to their seats, and the lawyer grabs his little gavel and says, case dismissed, everybody's free to go. Oh, praise the Lord, whatever whatever they said, the judge said, okay, they can go. Well, that's what happens when we, we say the thing, stand up for the things of the Lord. It can be a problem. But that's all right. You know, the world will come down on you from time to time. If it does, so what? Let it. We want to make a stand for Christ. I'm sure sometimes you'll get out of track and somebody may give you a nasty look. Okay, so what? We're to be a light to the world. Be a light to the world. And you know the, the world's not going to like it. That's okay. But some of, the, some of those people who you share Christ with, they will get saved. And you know what? They will be your best friend. And you won't be able to get them out of, your, out of your hair because that's what happens when you win someone to Christ. So I want to encourage you always. Now, I'm going to be a hypocrite here. I wanted to have this and didn't have it, didn't set it up. I wanted to show you one of my tracks on that one. But you should carry your track with you every time. Don't be like me. I don't have it today. But you know, have a track or two with you. You never know when you can say, hey, friend, let me give this to you. And if it's a, a good track, Clearly written. We should, we, that's what we should talk about one day. Different tracks. Because some are more clear than others. Some are, are more doctrinally sound than others. And, and then, how to give it out. How to use it. That would be a good... Sometime, maybe we'll talk about that. It's, I'm getting off on track. Let's get back here. We'll talk about that another time here. So getting back to this text here. We're talking about the natural man's problem. He is incapable... Of coming to Christ on it. He is incapable of keeping any kind of a covenant. Adam Clark writes this about the sinner and the covenant. He says, Every covenant is made as in the presence of God, so he that opposes the being and doctrine of God is incapable of being bound by any covenant. He can give no pledge for his conduct. That's the condition of the unsaved person, the person that doesn't know the Lord Jesus. This is where he struggles. The Gentile world, the pagans, they choose to stand firm against God. They ignore the issues of heaven and hell. They reject the cross. They mock the cross. They ignore the invitation of our Lord. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the Lord's invitation. And evidently, obviously, my guess is all of you have heard that that invitation and have answered it. Isn't that wonderful? Here's the Lord Jesus. Says to you, come to me. 
All you that labor and all you're struggling, all you're trying to do this, come unto me and I will give you rest. Do you have the rest that the Lord gives you? Do you have that confidence in your heart? Do you trust in the Lord? Do you find your life to be an exciting adventure following the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what happens when we come unto him, giving him our heart. The unbeliever, his heart turns against God. The unbeliever embraces the lies of the devil and the pleasures of the world. You know, that's what attracts the unbeliever, the lies of the devil. We, because we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We know God's word. You will not be sucked in by these lies of the devil, by the false philosophies, the pleasures of the world. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you to give you victory over the temptations and pleasures of the world and stay true to Christ. The atheists, the agnostics, they reject all this. They reject all the things that the Lord can give to you. They, they mock they mock you. They laugh at us. But that's okay. Who cares? I've been, I'm, I'm sure all of you from time to time have been mocked. You gave out a track and somebody, I've had that numerous times. There's a group of guys there and I got to talk to one of them. I give them the track and what do they say? Hey guys, look over here. We got a Jesus freak. He's going to tell us how to go to heaven. And then they get... So you get that once in a while. So what? Just stand there and tell him, yeah, I believe in the Lord Jesus. He's my Savior. He died for me, and I'll save you too if, if you will bow the knee to him, believe in him. <clears throat> so you take a <clears throat> stand. Sometimes you're laughed at. So what? If that's all we get, that's no problem. Who cares? I, this would be interesting. I guess we... I don't know. How much, what time do you have to leave here? We have to get over. This is a long sermon, too, by the way. I want to tell you, this is long, so I'm going to have to cut this short, but I just want to add something else to it. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be interesting, and maybe somebody wants to do that, <clears throat> to share with us right now an experience of when you were mocked for witnessing for Christ? You gave a track out, perhaps, and ah, blah, 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 you got all that. Or maybe you're talking to someone, and they, got, they came, became offended when you shared with them, Jesus died on the cross for your sin, he was buried, and what I like to share these people, and I'll share this with you too. <clears throat> One of the things, if, got, if, I'm, if I'm sharing the gospel with someone, and they're looking at me like, huh, what? Then I give them this illustration. This hand, I know I've given this here to you before, but you know it, but so. What is, what is repetition? Repetition is theological mucilage. So therefore, I'm going to tell you, this hand represents you and me. My wallet represents my sins. The Bible tells me I am a sinner. God loves me, the sinner, but he hates my sin. I can't go to heaven in this condition. So I'm doomed. However, Scripture goes on to say that here is my hand representing Jesus Christ. Notice there's no sin on him because he was sinless. When Christ is on the cross, what is he doing? He's doing many things, but one of which is taking my personal sins on himself. Being crucified and punished on the cross for my sins, so that I now have how many sins to answer for? None. Where are my sins? Jesus took them. Hence, I stand before a holy God, sinless, able to then enter into heaven, 
where there is no more sin, sorrow, sickness, and disease, and be there forever. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what you, I'm assuming all of you have done this, you understand this, but this is something good you can share with someone who does not know and understand the gospel, how this thing works. And what a glorious thing it is to come unto the Lord. All right, where did I leave off in this? Okay, so we're finding here, let me give you a a couple examples of people hear the gospel, but they reject it. And I've got a numbers of these. I'm going to cut it short because this is, you know, I practiced this sermon about three or four or five, six times, actually. And it's about an hour long each time. That's not good. I know you're going to get bored in an hour or so. Unless I can maybe stand up here and dance up here or do something to keep your attention. I'm going to take some things out and uh, so we're not here all day long. But sometimes it may be good to stay here all day long. You know, we stay in church. Why not stay here for a couple hours instead of rushing off? And what, looking for the Phillies game, or the, which I used to do, by the way, to rush off and run down to the Phillies game. Here's a couple exam- historical examples of people. Now, this is like America. Nations who have rejected the Lord and what, what happens to them. Let's talk for a moment about the Canaanites. Now, we understand the Canaanites, when Israel goes into the Promised Land, there's the people already living in the Promised Land, and they are called the Canaanites. They're pagans, all pagans. So this I was able to get from Barnes' commentary, but he writes about this, about the Canaanites, and here's what he says. Psalm 106, verse 37 and 38 says, and I quote, sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan and the land polluted with blood. So here we have a historical example of the sin in the world. And if we're not delivered by the power of the Lord, these things are going to prevail. But this is the statement of un, an unsaved population, a population without the Lord. It's the deplorable condition of those whom we witness to called the natural man. Here's another description. And again, these are the people that we rub shoulders with every day who don't know Christ. Our text gives us what? It gives us the, the, the word covenant breakers. What do you mean by covenant breaker? What is, what's the covenant breaker? Well, that word is asuthenthetus, covenant breakers. And it means, by implication, those who are faithless. They have no faith. John Gill writes about this verse, that these people possess no self-respect for keeping their word or their promises. They make treaties or agreements, both written and oral, and with enthusiasm, break them. So these are people, you know, just say things. You know, I hate to say this. It's like many of our modern-day politicians. They'll make promises, throw them out, but they really have no intention of keeping them. That's what, this, that's what this word here, covenant breakers, is all about. In short, their word means nothing. Their condition, the condition of their heart... They possess little self-respect, self-worth, or self-esteem. 
They are as an empty vessel. Their mental state produces various hang-ups, phobias, and internal strife, which leads to complications throughout their life, at work, in their marriage, and in their finances. And the root cause of this, the root cause is so simple, and you know what it is. The root cause is a person without Christ in their heart. These kinds of things will occur. It's hard for us to understand this because we have the Lord in our heart. And my guess is most of you came to Christ as a young person. I I did. And you can think of all the mess that you avoided by coming to the Lord as a younger person. But not everybody's this way. And we're talking to those, those who have not come to Christ. They have problems at work. They have problems in their marriage. They have problems with their finances. And I mentioned that. And the root cause, Christ not in their life. Hence, they are like a fortress without a fence. They are like a football player without a helmet. They are like a soldier without a rifle. They are vulnerable to the vials or the wiles of the devil. Now, some people may, I don't believe in a devil. That's, that's, that's your privilege. But he's got you right where he wants you. When, you. when you're in that state of mind, he's exactly where he wants you to be. You don't believe in him. Now, he can run havoc throughout your life, create all kinds of issues, and you're not going to solve anything because you don't believe in what's there. Okay, number three, if you're looking in your text... In your Bibles, the next problem is those without natural affection. These are, these are categories of different sinners. They never come to Christ, and this is how they struggle. They, they are those without natural affection. And that means, by definition, they lack the lack of natural feelings for those close to them, such as family members, friends, and neighbors. I bet we all know somebody like that. And that is, you, you would describe them as being cold. You, you don't feel warmth from them. They don't really communicate. They're just, uh, oh, hi. Hi, Don, good to see you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, uh. And that's their life. They really don't connect. And that's what this word is here. Those without natural affection, who do not connect with others. And so they live their life isolated in, in, in a degree of isolation. Now, I have to confess my own sin. I have a natural tendency to be like this. I understand this guy because without Christ, this is where I would be. Every time I get up and preach the Bible and stand before a congregation and preach, that is a miracle. You don't know it because you don't know me that well. But I believe in miracles. This is a miracle, me doing this. And I, I think by nature, but the Lord delivered me from it about being this kind of person without natural affection. Here are some examples of this, historically. The ancient Persians. Anybody study the Persians in, in, in school and remember about the ancient Persian culture? It was custom, it was a custom, excuse me, it was a common custom to bury children alive. They were void. This is what their custom was. This is the ancient Persians. They were void of this kind of con- of connecting with their children. And if their children were a problem, they just bury them. 
You know, culture or individuals without Christ are capable of doing all kind of craziness. By the grace of God, we, our country was founded by Christians, and we, you, you know our history, but also we're drifting far from that, you know. We're not far from going back to this kind of thing. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Let's talk for a moment about another culture, the Grecian, the Greece, Greece, Grecian. I can't say that word. I've practiced this many times, still can't. Grecian, Grecian culture. Here's their history. Infanticide was not merely permitted, but actually enforced by law. And you know, now as I'm reading about these cultures, I'm thinking about us. And the two things that come to my mind, since I'm here, I'll, I'll give it to you. <laughs> but think about the change that's happening in our country right now about this ridiculous issue of sex change. And this nonsense is catching on. I don't know if you, I've seen some people, and I don't know if they're a man or a woman. You know, I'd be in a store, I'm shopping, and I'll hide that. Is that, is that a man or a woman? You don't know. And this is doing great damage to our culture. And it seems, it's the crazy, and it seems to be catching on. More and more people are moving in that direction. So you take that craziness, what that's going to introduce to our land. You look at the abortion policy in our land and what that has done and what it is doing, not only to the baby, but to the mother. Do you ever talk to the mothers who, who actually go through this? They don't pay you this. Oh, yeah, you, we can take care of that baby. Don't worry about it. But that woman has a conscience. And women aren't designed to give children up in that way. And that works against them and can ruin their life, their marriage. But they never tell you this. They'll never give you the other side. Once that abortion is done, case dismissed. Don't even talk about it again. But if you follow through in these situations, it's, it's, some of the girls have written books on it, and it's gross. But these things are happening in our Christian culture. And here's the other thing now. We as Christians, what are we doing about it? And we can say, oh, this is awful, but okay. And we all agree to that. We walk out the door here, get in our car and go home. Okay, now what are we going to do about this thing we're talking about? And certainly we all would agree, number one, pray about this, bring this before the Lord, and pray that the Lord will give us leaders and uh, wisdom to overcome these things. I think that's what you're, I hope that's what you're doing. That's what I do, but really we need to do much more than that as a Christian. Now, if I'm just a regular guy, yeah, that's, that's going to be good. But I have Christ in my heart. I know something of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that would motivate us to get out there and be more evangelistic in our lifestyle. You know, plan to reach out to others, to get the word of God out. But that's risky. You know, it's risky of rejection, embarrassment. You can get, you know, you can get, get all kind of stuff happen. But that's okay. Once you get over that, once you get over the fear of, oh, I'm going to be rejected. All right. And, oh, he may say, okay, once you get over that, you can pretty well move in and be bold and talking to people about Christ, giving out the Word of God, inviting people to church. Is anybody here today, let me think, looking over how to, you know, I'm starting to get familiar with the congregation here. Is anybody here, like, new that you've been brought here today by a friend or somebody? See, that's, 
You know, it's, it, it's common. This is very common. In all of our churches, this is common. We're, not, we're coming to church by ourselves. And you know, thank the Lord, you're coming by, your, you're coming by yourself. That's better than staying home. But really, we, our thought life needs to be a little bit more than that, I would recommend, to think about who can I bring to church with me? Who can I take? Who did I just bring? Now, say, lest I'm a hypocrite. I don't do this all the time, like I'm saying, but I do do it as the Lord leads me. So who was the guy I brought? Did, who was the guy I brought? Now, I, by the way, I can't remember stuff like I used to do. I got some, some kind of a... What did the doctor tell me I have? I have some kind of a... Uh, actually, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember what I have. But I got some kind of a... Some kind of decline. Some kind of mental decline I, I have. So I can't remember stuff like I used to. That's why I got these notes here. I have to look down like this. I used to be able to preach and look at the people like this and don't look down. i got to look like this now. So I'm thinking of Skip. So... Um, anyway, he, was, he would have been an example of what I wanted to share with you. But let me move on, because as I say, this is a long sermon here. I'm only halfway through, and here's the rest of the sermon I've got to give yet. So we're going to go through all that yet. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. That, that was a joke, by the way, but that's okay. Let's talk for a moment about the Spartan state. The Spartan state. S-P-A-R-T-A-N. The Spartan states. Expressly or... See... They have a policy where they expressly ordain that very child, their children, should be examined at birth by the tribal fathers, and that if found weak or deformed, should be thrown into a deep cavern at the foot of Mount Gaitus in the mountain range of the Peloponnesian Mountain Peninsula in southern Greece. That's what this culture was all about. If you have a child and he's sickly, throw him, put him in a pit, throw him down, throw him over the cliff. That was, that's how people were dealt with years ago. That's how people are dealt with without Christ in the culture. And if you take Christ out of our culture, you're going to get the same barbarianism. It may not be thrown over a cliff, but you'll get something else. Didn't we just have a, 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 an example of this recently? happen in our land? Well, it'll come to me as we're going on here if I still have my mind left. Let's talk about the pagan philosopher Aristotle. You know, he participated in this stuff. We said, oh, great Aristotle, what a great scientist. He's much more than a scientist, and he did much more damage than good. Aristotle, in his work on government, maybe some of you read that book. You ever read the book? Aristotle on government, big book on government enjoins the exposure of children that are naturally feeble and deformed in order to present an excess of their population. In other words, he believed in killing children who are damaged, who are sick, who are crippled, kill them. They're just a nuisance to society, we'll just kill them. And you see, this is what the world would be like without, without this. This is what we would be like. And if we do not continue to live the gospel and preach it, this is what we will turn into. That's in the nature of, say, unsaved mankind. The Romans, unrelenting in their treatment of sickly infants. In other words, they did the same thing. The Romans, oh, great Roman, great Roman Empire. They were so base they would kill their sick children. have an example of it, but it would gross everybody out. I'm not going to say anything about it. 
Simply, we do know that in the Roman Empire, the father had an absolute right over the life of his child, which was often exercised to bring about the death of that child. Do you know about the Christian philosopher Tertullian? Now, here's the first Christian person amongst all of this. Tertullian, 155 A.D. to 220 A.D. in Carthage, Rome. He was the early prolific Christian author from Carthage in the Roman province of Africa and was the first Christian author to produce extensive writing of Latin Christian or Latin Christian apologist and a polemist against heresy, including contemporary Christian Gnosticism. Give you one more little paragraph about this man, Tertullian. Notable work. What did he do that people study that's valuable today? He did a work on apologetics. And you know, apologetics is, is a volume on the defense of the faith. Why do I believe in God? Why do I believe in the Bible? That's called apologetics. Apologetics, in his apology, expresses himself boldly to the Roman people and to the governors of cities and provinces on this subject. Here's the subject. How many of you might I deservedly change with infant murder? Or I would charge with infant murder. See, that was an issue in those days. Infant murder. They would talk about it. Well, how do we do it? What's the best way? And again, we don't have any of this. Why? Because we are a Christian nation. If we didn't have Christ setting up our nation and having our churches and Christians like yourself, these kinds of things would permeate our culture. This little paragraph goes on. How many of you might I deservedly charge with infant murder, and not only so, but among the different kinds of death for choosing some of the cruelest for their own children, such as drowning or starving with cold or hunger or exposing to the mercy of dogs, dying by the sword being too sweet a death for children. So they would discuss, how are we going to eliminate these children, which are a news, I can't take care of them, they're sickly, what are we going to do with them? Well, bring the dogs, they'll, they'll tear them apart. Now, this is gruesome stuff, I understand that, but you know what, you are a Christian, you ought to know something about the world and how to relate the gospel to it, and how the gospel has changed the world. Nor was this practice arrested in the Roman government until the time, get this, until the time of Constantine, the first Christian prince. All this kind of murder, all this kind of craziness was the natural part of the Roman Empire until Constantine sat upon the throne. Then it all stopped. Constantine was a Christian, and he would not permit this kind of murder to take place. And that gave some length of life to the the Roman Empire through Constantine. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm running. I can see you're getting tired. I don't blame you for getting tired. I'd get tired too. I did want to tell you about, maybe I'll, I'll keep this for the next time. The Phoenicians have a paragraph on them, the, the cruelty that they did by nature, the Phoenicians. Uh, in China, the stuff went on that took place in China. 
the Hindus. You see, the cultures around the world. It was common to attack the children. Because you, what, I want to raise this child and carry him all my life? I don't want this. How can I eliminate this? And if he's sickly, there's their excuse. Well, some other things I want to talk about. I'm going to stop here today. Uh, we want to talk about the implacable. I was going to talk about that. I wanted to talk about the unmerciful. That's on that list we're looking at in our text in Romans 131. Talk about the truce breakers. And is there anything else interesting I can just throw out here and then go right to our benediction here? A good book for you to read. You probably read it. It was a bestseller, gosh, maybe 20, 30 years ago, 1984. Read that, because that's what we're moving into. Without Christ, these things are going to be reality. Read that, 1984, and you'll see, oh, this couldn't happen. When that book first came out, you think, that couldn't happen. It's very easy to see how it can happen today. And there's only one thing that's going to stand against these dictators and anti-life people and anti-God people, and that's you. That's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If this thing falls, if we don't do our job, our culture will be lost. And your children will pay the price. My children, my grandchildren. I have, what do I have in grandchildren? I go, oh, I'm, <sighs> These guys reproduce like rabbits. How many got? I don't know what I got here. About um, 12, I think. I don't know. I lose track every time. Looking, some, one of my kids is another baby looking at me. My God, who, what's this? Another baby. Oh, my God. Anyway, I think there's 12 of them. But you know what? They're going to know nothing of the liberty that I have. And that's why I'm telling them. I, I talked to my, my, who was I just talking to? I guess it was my daughter, my granddaughter. I was talking to one of them about, about the church, liberty. And I want to get that. It was my granddaughter. It was my granddaughter. I had a good conversation on the phone. I don't talk long on the phone. I'm not talking to a person. The only time I ever talk is here when I get behind the pulpit. You might think I go home, I blah, blah. I really don't. I'm very, very quiet. Of course, now I got nobody to talk to, but I, but I still didn't talk that much. Um, but I talked to my granddaughter last night. We talked over an hour, and I was sharing with her what to avoid. Now, she's a beautiful girl, maybe in her early 20s, I believe, single girl, and trying to warn her about the world and how people will try to use her because she's real. Now, you'll think I'm biased, but if I brought her in here, you would agree. A beautiful girl, beautiful physically, wonderful, and she's very smart. That's, um, finally we got somebody smart in the Britain family. <laughs> I'm happy about this. That's I really bring her up. She's really very intellectual and smart. So I was sharing with her, you know, keep yourself pure. Present yourself to the Lord Jesus. Follow him. If you don't do this, the world's going to get you and use you, and they'll chew you up and throw you out. I tried to tell her that in terms that she would understand. And I wanted to say that to her for a long time, never did, but last night it worked out. I don't know, we had time to talk, so we did it. And I'm very happy about it. I'll bring her, I'd like to bring her with us. I'll bring her someday. Maybe next time I come, I'll bring, I'll bring Lane along. Her name is Lane. Wonderful, precious girl. That's it. I'm going to start to cry when I talk about these people. 
So I can't talk about my family because I cry when I do. And so I'm sorry about that. I got to learn how to control that. I don't know how to do it. So anyway, uh, this is where we are. Uh, Maybe next time I come back, I will maybe do the second half of this message here because I still have maybe another uh, half hour to 45 minutes. Should I I stay and continue on? Uh, Okay. All right. So uh, yeah, I'll just stop it here and um, we'll figure out what to do next time. So Let's, let's close with a prayer together. Our Father, we want to say thank you that we are brothers and sisters right here today. Thank you for this. Not one of us here would say that we deserve to be saved. I bet every one of us could get up here and say why we don't deserve to be saved. And yet your grace was sufficient for all of our sin. How marvelous is this? We thank you, Lord, that you formed this wonderful congregation. And this is a wonderful congregation. Thank you for bringing it together. Thank you for keeping it together. We ask that you will add to it according to your will, that the word of God will go forth. And if there's any families here in in distress today, We ask that you'll minister to the husband, to the wife, to the children. Give us wisdom, give us grace, give us mercy one for another. So that as families, we can prosper as families. As a church, we will prosper and get the word of God out. Sinners being saved. Believers being edified. And the work of God going forth. Thank you for bringing us together today. And I thank you through Christ our Lord. Amen.